0: Here today with Susan Leith, who is the Bethlehem Town Historian. Welcome, Susan. Great. Thank you, Melissa. Thanks for having me. What made me invite Susan, I've talked to her over the years and in fact went through our newspaper archives and found even though Bethlehem's kind of on the outskirts of the Enterprise coverage area, she has just been involved in so many things. She keeps appearing in our paper. But the current project, and we'll start out by talking about this before we get into some some of the background and depth of her knowledge, is there is an upcoming event called a visit with Slingerland's founding family. So
1: just tell us a little bit about that, Susan. Oh, that it is going to be so much fun. So we, well, first of all, I'm involved with the Friends of the Slingerlands Family Burial Vault, which is a a cemetery site that's hidden away in the hamlet of Slingerlands. And it has fallen into disrepair. So we got this group together to, you know, to raise money and to keep, just keep an eye on this, this little gem of a historic site in town, and repair and restore the stonework on the vault. So that's the, so this, what the The visit with um, Slingerland's founding family, this fundraiser on June 28th, is we have costumed actors who are taking on the characters of John I. Slingerland and William H. Slingerland and their mother, Leah Britt. And they are going to personify these, you know, historic people from the village. And so it's a walking tour. So you'll, you know, I'm part of the walking tour. So I'll give a little background historic information. Then they walk over to the homestead and they meet mom and they meet her prominent son, John I and then they'll walk over to the vault and there they'll meet William Henry, the baby brother of the family. So what gave you this idea? What a wonderful idea. We stole it, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Albany Rural Cemetery does a similar program, but on a a much bigger scale. And it's so well received. And it's just a fun way to get into local history. You know, to have...
0: Of like professional actors or are these volunteers, they're volunteers. Oh my, yeah,
1: and they're volunteering their time and and you know their expertise on portraying these people. So, so. tell us about these people. Who are so, the Slingerlands? How so did it I, get founded? I learned so much. So John I Slingerland is the one we hear about a lot, and mm. I learned so much about him just putting the scripts together that I really didn't know so much. He really was a very strong abolitionist. This is the 1850s before the Civil War, mm-hmm. um, and there, there's some incidences with the Pearl, which was a slave um, escape, yeah. and he was appalled at the situation after they got turned back in, and he wrote letters, you know, that were published in papers all over the, you know, the United States uh, against the horrors of slavery, and I didn't really know the depth. Of his passion mm-hmm. for that. Like, I knew, okay, you know, I knew he was an abolitionist, but I didn't really know how committed he really was to that. Uh, and it comes out of his anti rent background. So he was against the big landholders. So, so people are familiar with
0: the <laughs> patroon system and how that worked. Yeah.
1: Mm. So, you know, going way back to colonial times, mm-hmm. um, the Van Rensselaer family were the the lords of the manor. Um, mm-hmm. They had the patroon and farmers and people had to rent land from the patroon. So generally, it's like 150 acres and they paid an annual rent um, every year. So it was like Fifteen bushels of wheat and four fat fowl and and uh, a day's labor that they had to bring every year to the Lord of the manor, and people didn't appreciate that as time marched on uh, being free Americans we shouldn't have be you know the it was Lord. like the a feudal system. Let's kind of, think the word. of it feudal so system so much right. as
0: being in the hill towns because of the, you,
1: you know, yes. the calico
0: drum, tin calico, tin yeah, tin horns, horns and calico. calico. But, yes, but so Slingerlands it's, was part of that. Was too. Was part of that too, yeah. and
1: the whole town of Bethlehem. Was part of that. And, you know, the, you can look at those ancient deeds and they'll have the Van Rensselaers right there and in, in the annual rents. So he was a big part of the anti-rent party. Um, that was part of his political platform. So that's John I. Um, his brother, William Henry, was a land surveyor and postmaster in the village. Um, what else is he known for? Surveyor. Um, and what about engineer. the mother, Mrs. Britt? You said Mrs. Britt. Well, she's Leah Leah Britt Slingerland. Okay, and I, you know you got to bring in the woman's perspective. Yes. I feel like I mean that's so important, and it's
0: so often ignored it's, in
1: traditional history. Exactly. So I just I just picked her because we know a little bit about her. You know, she had seven kids, and they all lived to adulthood, and which is a little bit unusual. You know, in that time frame, she was born. i want to say seventeen. Oh gosh, seventeen ninety something. Anyway, late seventeen 1700s. Late hundreds. 1700s, exactly. Her father was a Revolutionary War veteran, um, so they got you know to have your all your kids live to adulthood and be you know go on and be successful is pretty good accomplishment. You know. Yeah. Um. So we just include a little bit about her and then you know focus on the two brothers. So I want to move on to other things, but just huh? to
0: conclude this. Um, If somebody wants to go to the event, what do they do? Do they have to sign up
1: ahead? They do have to. You have to register ahead of time. Um, It is a fundraiser, so we're selling tickets through Eventbrite. Um, You can just go to Eventbrite and type in Slingerland's Vault, and you'll come to our page on there. So it's June 28th. There's a 6 o'clock tour, a 6.30, and a 7. And it'll be about I mean, a little less than an hour, and you have to walk around the Hamlet and everything. Okay, well, that yeah. Sounds so that's like the that. fundraiser. Yeah. It is.
0: So just to go kind of back in time and get uh-huh. a little history on you, the historian. Okay. <laughs> I know by looking up some old stories we had done that you said you kind of came to history through objects, but just kind of walk us through your life and, and how it was you got to be interested in history. How I got to be interested in
1: history. Oh yeah. my gosh. You, got to, you go way back. Oh good. Let's go way <laughs> well, back. I mean, Where did you grow up? Where I, you? I grew up in Rhode Island. Okay. Um, and I... I don't know how I got interested in history. I just, it was always interesting to me, you know, when the people and the stories that go along with it. I don't mm-hmm. have like a moment, yeah. but yeah. It was just always there. It was kind of just always there. Um, I studied anthropology in school, and uh, we did graduate work at Brown University in anthropology and museum studies. So coming at it from the, you know, what... And archaeology and what do objects and things tell us about history. So that was kind of the early days. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was a museum director for a time. And this was in South Carolina. South Carolina, yeah. yeah. So to me, that seems like ancient history because that was, you know, before <laughs> kids <laughs> Before I moved to New York. BK. Before kids. Exactly. So when we moved up here. When was that? Oh, that was 1995 when I moved to Bethlehem. Um, First thing I got involved with the Bethlehem Historical Association. Because, you know, you want to meet people. And Mm -hmm. I love history. And they had Mm -hmm. a museum. So, you know, I got very involved with them. and, And then, you know, life marched on. And it became right in my life to go beyond stay-at-home mom volunteer and when the position of town historian was available so i you know put in my application and i was appointed in september 2007 so quite a long time yeah i think is the only state that requires towns to have a story yes and it it's the towns, the counties, the cities, and there's a New York State historian as well. So, yeah. so
0: tell us about a day in the life of the yeah. town historian. I mean, what kind of things? <laughs> what kind is of it things do, you I do I do?
1: Yeah, um, you know, I think about it kind of as like education and promoting awareness about Bethlehem's history. Um, and just talking with folks, doing things like this to help preserve and promote Bethlehem's history. And that goes in so many directions. You know, I've written a couple of books and I I write articles about local history. I, um, you know, talk to senior groups. I, I just worked on an exhibit down with the Bethlehem Historical. You know, if we put up an exhibit called All in a Day's Work about the different trades that were in Bethlehem in the 1800s, you know, like blacksmith and the, the Wheelwright, you know, things like that. Um, so, you know, I, I write and research. And, you know, the, the kind of the funnest thing is these random inquiries I get where people ask me historical questions or they want to reminisce and tell me tales about the town and things that happened. Um, just a recent one that I just put on my blog was a story about World War II. Oh, I saw that. Did you that. see that?
0: That was wonderful. Isn't that wonderful? Did these pe-
1: old men just hop- happened by the Cedar Hill, the Cedar Hill Schoolhouse. schoolhouse. Tell, and, yeah, tell us yeah, about that. Yeah, um, Karen Beck, who's the your president, just happened to be there on a weekday doing mm-hmm. some work, and these two old men, you know, old gentlemen, came by. You know, oh, we went to school here. You know, this is where my desk was, you know, telling her all these stories. We're just going to back up here okay. so people know what oh. Cedar
0: Hill is. Oh, Tell it's, us
1: about that. It's a, it's a little hamlet in the town of Bethlehem. So and the
0: schoolhouse there is... Maintained and owned by the Historical Society, is that right? Uh, it's where? actually owned by the town. Owned by the town? Yeah, okay.
1: details. You know, the yeah. town owns the schoolhouse building. Right. It was a little one room school right until 1965 ish. Maybe it was 63. Don't quote me on the dates. Yeah. Um, and then the, the um, Historical Association maintains the exhibits and programs inside that building okay back so, to the two old okay men. so the two guys <laughs> so, they just stop by which happens quite often you know people say oh i went to school here and and um they told about that day where the superintendent of the schools was traveling around like they would do, and he would s- he stopped into the to that schoolhouse, spoke with the teacher, and then just dis- let the kids go home early. And they were just excited to go home early. And then he told them, "But you know, we we have won. You know, the war is over. I want you to go to every house on the way home and knock on the door and tell them, you know, the war is over." And you I mean, have how just cool this wonderful
0: line in your blog, something like, so it was kid power, kid <laughs> power, you know, <laughs> knocking on doors knocking to spread the word. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, you know, it's little things like that that get you into, you know, World War II history. I mean, that's a huge, you know, huge historical, you know, event that impacted, you know, our history as a country. But you can get into it in just this little local town. You know, it's and I, great. I think that is really just fascinating. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I just wonder, like, if you stay awake nights thinking it, one of the things I found I hadn't even remembered we had in our paper, you had a kayak tour. Yeah. History paddle along the Hudson and Blumenkill. Yeah. Tell us, I mean, like, how do you come up with an idea like that? You must <laughs> be a kayaker, right? I am a kayaker. Yeah.
1: Um, you know, I gave history hikes for many years where I just walked took people on walking tours um and then i realized and those those started because i like to walk and talk about history so i'm like oh well i should get some people to come along with me and it was kind of the same thing i'm kayaking you know down at henry hudson park and i and i can't help but think about his, historical things and i'm like i should be able to share this with people you know so that's how the the history paddles were born And and I'm I'm doing them again this year. If you go to the town in Bethlehem Parks and Recreation Department, you can sign up for the upcoming history paddles that I have.
0: And um, like... Do you have to be kind of athletic to do this? Not really. No. Okay. I mean, you
1: have to be. You have to know how to. Pa- you know, you have to, have to know how to run your kayak or yeah. your canoe, yeah. and you have to provide your own equipment. Uh-huh. Um, you know, your own boat, your own paddle, your own life jacket. Uh, I just go along and give the history. So, it,
0: but I'm just trying to picture this. So you're out there in your yeah. own kayak, and you kind of have this it's, cluster of people I kayaking do. with you, and you kind of turn and like point to something. I to do, it and say, oh I, they're gosh. like little
1: ducklings. You you know? <laughs> That's just so,
0: wonderful. So, so,
1: if I remember, I bring a little flag and I'll wave my flag, and you know, I tell people, "All right, we're going to gunnel up. If you see me waving the flag, that means you know, come closer." And then I share, you know, historic information. So, just tell us some of the things you see along the river. Oh, it's fascinating because the the little like the Vloman Kill uh-huh. is you're back up in the creek, and it really kind of feels like you're going back in time a little bit. And we talk about the Native Americans. There was a large Native American village that was near the Vloman Kill in Bethlehem. You go a little further up, and there's just through the trees you can see one of the oldest houses in town, which is a brick house um, from the 1730s. So I can talk about early settlement. I talk about the Van Rensselaers and the Patroons. You go a little further up the Vloman Kill, and there's a waterfall back there. And I can talk about the early mills and the early development. And then we'll go back out to, of course, we talk about Henry Hudson and, you know, that early discovery time. And we'll go up the Hudson a little bit. And then there's, you know, the old, there was a landing there. So we can talk about Bethlehem farmers putting their, you know, their crops to market or the hay to New York City. And you go up a little further and there's a big old summer house. And Bethlehem has this history of, of these big, quote unquote, summer houses um, where people from Albany would come out to the country. For their summer home. so you know I can pull in all kinds of oh, little. Yeah, bits you're of really traveling history. through time. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, the mention of the Mohawks, I want to explore that uh-huh. a little. I t- I know I talked to you over the phone back when um, this that schoolhouse was just packed. There was a presentation yes. by Bonnie Hartley, yes. and you had exhibits at mm-hmm. that time of things that had been unearthed. Yep. And when I talked to you. Um, you just had this most touching story, if you want to oh. know. <laughs> but you had you had tried to see if the state museum had wanted oh, these yes. artifacts. Yes, yes, and then um, it turned out. They they didn't. They didn't. Right. And so you found this perfect home for them. Yeah, yeah. And with the Mohican us, Indians. I yeah, should you know,
1: it's not the Mohawk. Mohaw. Oh Mohican. gosh, yeah, that's I know right. gotta and get it's that a right.
0: particular
1: yes, yeah, so that's very important. I know. It's, it's a particular
0: the, group and I'm just trying to find it. They're called it's the Stockbridge
1: Muncie uh, band go, of Mohican it. Indians. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Well so just tell us a little about that. Journey, as that it were. Little journey. Um, so there was a group called the Bethlehem Archaeology Group. Um, they were very active in the eighties and very early nineties, and then you know their folks aged out, and it closed down, and they couldn't get anyone to, you know, take on and keep the group going. So then the problem is: so what do we do with their, you know, the artifacts? And this particular group we're talking about is the Native American ones that came from the Goes Farm, and they are just a great collection. And we had some talk about, oh, you know, would the State Museum like them? And they were not interested. Um, they they had their own space issues. Um, and then it was, you know, it was not professional archaeologists, and they just didn't feel that was right for them. Um, we talked with the Bethlehem Historical, and they have storage issues as well, but, you know, they wanted it. Um, are part of it. And then we also spoke with the, the Mohicans. And they have a facility now in, um, I believe it's in Troy. Yes, it is in Troy, where they have a storage area mm-hmm. for local artifacts, and they can um, preserve things there. And just after many conversations with people, we, you know, we came around to it's, we'll keep the grouping together, if we can give it to the Native Americans and let, you know, let them curate it. That just kind of brings it all together, and it's very, very nice to have that. And um, I think with you them. said the state museum person
0: identified that there were bones among these artifacts. They were, yeah. And then it became kind of a honoring heritage because it was like a burial. Yes, yes. and there was
1: there w- they identified some human remains that mm-hmm. got mixed in there um, in that archaeological process, and I had no idea. So you know, you have to that respectfully, and that's, you know, the initial contact with the Mohicans was, you know, we need to, we need your help, basically, yeah. so that we can, you know, reinter and, you know, treat these respectfully. And, and, and they had them. a ceremony that, they, that they did that, the story I'm
0: thinking of, and maybe oh. you don't want to tell it for the podcast, it had to do with your seeing a bear. Do oh, my gosh, that, yes. yeah. Oh, my gosh, so... <laughs> Well, I just was touched by that. It, I
1: remember that all this time, yeah, so. you know, it was it was an interesting time because we, when when we turned over the artifacts and the this, you know, s- small amount of human remains, the um they brought out the one of the tribal um the tribal leaders and they in the the former archaeology space where those remains had been for years and years and years, they performed a ceremony, you know, where we, we had, you know, uh, kind of a purifying kind of ceremony, and then we were excused. We were not invited to the private um, reinterment where they, you know, did all the um, ceremonies that were needed, and they, um, you know, laid them to rest in their, you know, pretty much where they came out of, which is pretty awesome. Um, and it was, just, it was just very moving to be a little tiny part of that. And it was also a hard time for me personally, because my mom had just gone into the hospital, and I knew I had to get there to her, but I had to finish up these other things first, so I was getting ready to do that. Um, and I spoke with, uh, his name was Jeremy Mohawk, and he was talking about... Um, we, we asked, oh, I'm not telling this literally, I'm kind of jumping all over, but after the reinterment ceremony, we had a gathering after where we had some of the archaeologists were able to come and I was able to come and have a meal together, you know, with the Native Americans with Bonnie and Jeremy. And we were sitting around talking and Jeremy was sharing some of the Native American beliefs about, um, you know, their spirit and the spirit that goes on to the beyond and the spirit that remains, you know, with the bones until they're gone to dust. And he was talking about, um, you know, some of the the stories about Bear was the one that I really remembered. Um, and there's other ones, you know, Turtle, but Bear was the one who made sacrifices to to save the people and um, that kind of thing. I'm telling this really badly, but... <laughs> I don't think you are. I think I then, lots
0: of stories unfold um, in little, this unfold in little yeah.
1: things, you know, so it was, I was... I was very grateful for this kind of spiritual moment with the Native Americans, to, In this, this feeling like you're really doing the right thing, mm. you know, it was a very good feeling. And then I had all this personal stress going on. So the next morning, I'm up early. I'm driving to the throughway. I'm on the backcountry road, Beaver Dam Road. And I'm just driving. And I'm more thinking of my mom. And I see movement on the side of the road. And um, you know, here's this black bear just walks across the road right in front of me and I was like, Oh <gasps> I've never seen you know, it's like, oh my gosh. You know, and we're we're less than well like a half a mile from the site where we just had these ceremonies and these wonderful conversations about, you know, the Native American um belief system. And it was just one of those moments, you know, I got chills and I was like, Oh, it's gonna be okay. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a you wonderful know, it's story. Be okay. Just because yeah.
0: So much of history is the people in the, it, and exactly. like you had this personal connection, just, yeah, that transcended time in a weird a way. A with weird a symbolic week. bear, I just love that yeah, story.
1: Yeah, it was it was really a good moment. Yeah. yeah. Well, so tell us about um, your books. You've written oh, some my books. books. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I have a little card. I'll oh, show good. You. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have three of them. One, the first one is. Um, It's the Images of America series, and it's all all photographs, black and white. I know you've seen them around those sepia tone books about every town. I always
0: wish they had a bigger format,
1: you know? Oh yeah, because
0: the photographs are so wonderful. They they, are, you know, but they're they're, small.
1: Yeah, Yeah, well, you know, (laughs) but you
0: packed a lot. I have that book. You packed a lot of information. I tried really hard to pack. Yeah, Yeah.
1: yeah, to put as much as I could in the captions. And you organized it by Hamlets. Hamlet, I think I did that Mm -hmm. one. Yep. Yeah. And then I also write a series of articles for Our Town, Bethlehem, which are as a monthly publication. Mm-hmm. So I gathered those for my second book, which was called Historic Tales of Bethlehem, New York, and that gathers up those articles. And then my recent book, which just came out, is The Bethlehem People and Places. So I'm not familiar with that. Tell yes. us, uh, tell us some more in depth about that. That's the new one. Yeah. Again, it's the articles. But I really took the time this time to include my inspiration for the articles. So, what, you know, why did I start writing about the Welches on Van Wee's Point? Or well, you tell know us what's, that
0: as an example, why did you start oh. <laughs> writing about the Welches on Van Wee's Point?
1: <laughs> well, be, that one was because the the owners of the house had contacted me, and I, I knew about William Welch, who was the lighthouse keeper, and you know cha- kept the light on the Hudson River. You know, he would row out for this. Shows my horrible lack of knowledge about Bethlehem. There's a lighthouse there. Well, well, keep in mind, it's think of it as a light, not as like a big tall okay. like lighthouse. Okay. You know, it's more just a light on a on a in, promenary. On a promenary, it's on a pile of rocks, basically on the okay. Hudson, and it's still there, but it's now a you know the Coast Guard or whoever runs it. It's just automatic. But at the time, so we're talking the eight, late 1800s. He had to row out to the lamp, the big brass lamp, and he would bring it back in. He would clean it. He would put the oil back in it, polish the lenses, and then every night he rode back out and lit it and hung it out there. And he did that for years and years. So I knew that story. Um, so that it was that curiosity about, oh, I met the homeowners. They have some great old pictures. There's this relationship with the Hudson River because his son was also the light keeper and another son was on the old Hudson River day liners. So it was just all these things came together, and it was really kind of neat. And then after I published the story, you know, I go on about the the lighthouse keeping and the river. Someone says to me, says, well, you know, the Hudson would have been frozen. I'm like... Oh, you know, you go on about he did this every day of his life, and you make the, and then you go, oh wait, the Hudson would have been frozen solid, you know. So from he would have walked for some, some descent. Well, no, there was no boats on the river. Oh, because right, it was because, frozen. Yes, you know, yeah, we're talking right. the eighteen hundreds. Got it. It would have been completely frozen, and then, and I'm so in my little introductory, how I got to this story. You know, I include that little bit you know, about, oh, wait, you know, if you think about it more. So you have
0: like an interaction with your
1: readers because you would do. publish this first as I'd a publish blog it first. or a column yep. and then you get feedback. I get feedback and then I, so I included some of those extra things. Um, before each article.
0: What's interesting to me about this conversation is when I was reading up on all the things we've written about <laughs> you in the past, I thought this conversation was going to be about objects. You know, you had this well, training at Brown. And, yeah, yeah. And really, it seems it's about people. It's about people. You have this so, like sense of connection going yeah. all the way back to ancient Mohegans, but yet currently, currently in the present yeah. going
1: into... Yeah, even World War II,
0: yeah. yeah. so...
1: But so what? So this book, Bethlehem People and Places, takes all of those kind of people and place kind of inspired articles and puts those all together. So in January this year, my new sort of new series with our town is inspired by objects. So I start with a thing and see where it takes me. So I started with one of them is about light. So I started with a lamp, like an oil lamp, you know. And 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 where is that going to lead you? With local history, thinking about light, where did it lead you? Well, you think about light was important. (laughs) But you didn't have electricity. So it was, you know, it was lamp light and oil light. And where do you get the fuel to light your lamps? And what about before oil lamps, you would have had, you know, candles, or very crude lamps, you would have, you know, pretty much gone to bed when the sun went down. Why, yes, had, it would have changed, it your, would whole have changed your whole patterns yeah. and your whole way of thinking as you kind of experience life with depending on light. And you know, they they had celebrations like that. At the end of the American Revolution, they would have bon- they had a bonfires, and and the city was lit up. And you think, well, most times it's not lit up, and it's dark, and the wilderness is dark, and we're so not used to that now. You know, now you kind of have to make a real effort to get away from light pollution. It's a real problem. So it's. It leads you in these weird, yeah. weird and avenues. And
0: rhythms are all different. Yeah. now. people have to take things to help them sleep
1: exactly. because, not, because there's too yeah. much light. It's fascinating. Like tell, I did us one a, on, tell us another oh, okay. object. Yeah. So, okay, so the one I did on I got to thinking about heat in like January. Like, I'm so grateful I have a furnace. What did people do before we had central heating? And they had these very elaborate parlor stoves. I didn't know anything about parlor stoves, so it was fascinating to read about how you kept warm. So once warm. you come up
0: with the idea, uh-huh. like parlor stove, then where do you go to find
1: find what you're going to write? I, I, uh, different places. Yeah. I am very grateful to the Altamont Enterprise because your historic newspapers are all online. Yeah. So I look at the old newspapers at various websites. I look in the see if I have any pictures that might be old pictures that could illustrate it. Um, all kinds of nooks and crannies, you know, where you're just trying to find little bits and you never quite know what's going to connect. Like the light one, there was a man in Delmar. of course, I'm not going to remember his name, who patented a special kind of lamp reflector that he sold. And you're like, how would you know about Mr. Congdon, Mr. Congdon, who had this patent and lived in Del Mar and did all this these things with light? It's
0: so, it's so weirdly, weirdly random. So I know, <laughs> and there's so much more I want to hear. But just for kind of a concluding thought, uh-huh. what does it do for a town To know
1: its history. I I mean, why
0: is that important?
1: I think it's important to know where you, you know, your roots and where you come from. And I think that just kind of informs where you're going to. You know, I think you have to be pragmatic about it. So I just think it's important to remember where you came from and what you were doing and how that can keep you going forward. Well, thank you, Susan. Well, thank you so much, Melissa. It's been a pleasure. I always love to talk about history, so. (laughs)